Let's take our Bibles. Let's do our Bible study. We are going to have the kids coming back in probably about a half hour or so. So we're going to continue on and do a study that we stopped four weeks ago on a Sunday evening because we ran out of time. Surprise, surprise. And uh, so I wanted to pick it up to make sure that it is on record and as well that be beneficial to any who are here. Lou, you made a comment that I found very interesting. You said after we're doing these series on talking about parenting, you can't wait until you have kids so you know what to do now that we've been talking about it. With that in mind, I'm going to pray for your wife, okay? So, but I know that some of this, some of what we're talking about doesn't apply to everybody here because you're, a lot of us are on the other end of raising the kids, thank the Lord, and uh, yet we have the opportunity to talk with people. In, uh, it was interesting, in the last week and a half, I've uh, been having several different people, and they weren't even people that, that were in our church. One was a neighbor that just said, hey, what would you advise somebody when it comes to raising small kids? And so it comes up, even if we're not in the arena of doing it right now, it comes up. And so I think it's beneficial for us to just take this evening, finish out this sermon, just so you have materials that you can give others or you can apply in your own, in your own situation. And so what we were, what we were talking about, using it as an illustration that you all know by heart by now since I used it for five Sundays in a row, is that in the gas station where I grew up, my dad had that hoist and we had to line it up or we would have tragedy with a car going up in the air, maybe not going all the way or tipping. And so uh, the idea was that we were saying by an illustration, we have to line up our lives with the Word of God. Some of us didn't grow up in Christian homes. Now, I was one of those. We grew up where I grew up. It, what was portrayed before me was a solid home where there was work ethic and there was love. But when it came to discipline, it wasn't what the Bible said at all. And so for us, when we got married, when Deb and I uh, decided that uh, we were going to get married and then we were going to have children, when that came, it was like, okay, do I do what I was exposed to and what my family, what I saw, or do I need to go back and study the Word of God and make some changes? And for me, it was I had to go back, study, and make some changes. It would have been easier to just do what I had learned, but that, as time proved, that wasn't lining up with the scriptures. We would have fallen off the hoist. And it's not because my parents were bad people. My parents just didn't know. They were never in a Bible-believing church until we were older. And so they didn't have that privilege like we did to be able to be in the Word of God and raise kids from little on. And so lining up with the Word of God, I realized, and I want to just rehearse this again, we are told in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, we are told to submit ourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. And we rehearse this, that it's voluntarily saying, I'm going to put my spot where God tells me what I'm supposed to do. That is that idea that God commands me to submit myself, to voluntarily say, I'm going to go to the assigned spot. The assigned spot as a husband. The assigned spot as a wife. The assigned spot as a worker in Ephesians chapter 6. The assigned spot as a teenager, Ephesians chapter 6. The assigned spot as a parent, Ephesians chapter 6 verse Four, where he says to the parents there further on in this very same passage, he applies it, he says, fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so we challenged ourselves on some of the aspects of what are some of the assigned, the, the assigned positions, um, responsibilities, requirements from the Word of God that he has given to parents. 
and grandparents. What are they supposed to do? We, we've already studied these. We've already said that provide, protect, which we looked at the text. We said about promoting, encouraging, building up, being a positive influence. We talked about being an example, being a pattern, that you're living in such a way that they can follow the example. And we explored that, how that is so important when you train up a child, you're leading them. You're pointing the way. You're headed that way. That's the same concept in Ephesians 6.4. We talked about this whole idea from the book of Proverbs to be an advisor, to be somebody who's giving counsel, directing them. Even when they're older, giving them advice about what to do when they're old enough to be dating, what to do when they're old enough to have finances, what to do when they're choosing friendships for themselves. Proverbs is filled with that. What to do when it comes to drink, what to, what to do when it comes to what you're reacting to to a neighbor. And so that advising as a part of your experience as a parent can be for your entire life. And so what happens here is we talked about another aspect of advocating. Being an advocate, praying for your family, fasting and praying for your kids, your grandkids. We had a message that I think was one of the most important of all the messages. You're an ambassador. You're representing God. And so as you deal with kids and grandkids, you have to pause and remember, they don't belong to me. They belong to the Lord. And so what I need to do is I need to represent Christ to them and treat them in that idea. The message that we broke off and picking back up is that right in the middle of those was where we first did it. It was you're an authority in their life. And we pointed out from this text in Ephesians chapter 6, children are told, commanded by God, that they're to obey and respect their parents, grandparents as well, or other authorities, but in particular the parents. So we have in the passage that God says very clearly, commanding the kids, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is righteousness. This is how you kids be, be right with me. Honor your father and mother. And he reminds them it was the very first commandment with the promise that you would live long in the land. And then we read in Colossians, we read that again it's repeated in the twin epistle to Ephesians. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. So we explored that. We talked about that on a Sunday morning, what the kids were supposed to do commanded to obey and respect. So the question that we had when we talked about it is, what does it imply that parents must be doing? If kids are to be listening to them, parents have to be instructing, talking, giving commands, giving direction. They have to be an authority in their lives. And we talked about some of that authority aspect when we did this five weeks ago. We talked about that means you as parents set the rules. Not the kids setting the rules, but you set the rules, the standard, the agenda for the family. That was explored in depth in that one study. You should expect your children to obey and respect you and your directives. Do I know that they have a sin nature? Yes. Do I know they're going to struggle with obedience? Yes. Do I know they're going to struggle with respect? Absolutely. It's part of the sin nature. But when I tell them to do something, I should have the expectation on my part. I expect them to listen to what I'm saying. I know they're going to battle with it, but I should expect them to be obedient. I shouldn't excuse it because, well, you're a sinner, you can't obey. So, therefore, I, what's the use? No, no, that would be a defeatist attitude. We're not supposed to be doing that. We're to be saying, okay, kids, we're giving you directives, we're giving you instruction, we're giving you advice. We expect that there's going to be respect and we expect there's going to be obedience. With that in mind, if there isn't, we need to enforce 
the idea that you need to be obedient. That we need to train our children to be obedient and to be respectful. We talked about this aspect. We gave the illustration how some parents aren't training their kids with expectation of obedience. Some parents have trained their kids they don't have to obey until I hit the number 10. I don't have, you don't have to obey or do what I'm telling you until I hit the decibel level of a jet plane. Okay, you're training your children and relaying to them what you expect from them by how you quickly respond to disobedience or the idea of a lack of respect. And so here's where we want to pick up tonight. Take the steps to correct them when they refuse to comply with God's command for them. God's command for the children is that they do what? They obey you. And so if they're not obeying you, they're not just disobeying you. What are they doing? They're disobeying God. They're disobeying God's commands. They're sinning against not just you, but they're sinning against God Almighty. And so it's a profound thought that God says, I want you to train them. As my ambassador, you teach them. And so you correct them when that comes in. And so we talked about and just started this aspect of the idea of discipline in the world's view when they do talk about discipline, if they do, they talk about mere punishment. Well, that's not what the Bible would inscribe. Now, I grew up, and again, my, it wasn't my parents' fault. They just didn't know any better. They were just following what they had heard for generations and what they had just picked up that there was the idea of just punish the kids if they get out of line. And my dad's idea and my grandparents' idea was the kids were supposed to be quiet. The kids weren't supposed to be disruptive. The kids were supposed to be, yes, seen and not heard idea. If they got too loud, then in anger there was discipline. Now probably some of you grew up in the same type of environment. Discipline came out of anger. Discipline came if the, it's, you embarrassed your parents. Discipline came only if you did something that they didn't like and it bothered them. Well that's not biblical discipline. That's not biblical training. Okay, and so what we need to understand is, okay, when we're, tr when we're disciplining, we're actually doing a form of discipleship. We're training. And so from a Bible point of view, the idea is to train them, to help them to grow out of an attitude of disrespect or actions of disobedience. And so I don't have, I, I need to be very consistent in applying the principles of correction. I need to be very careful applying the principles of correction that I do it with the right motivation, that I do it with the right concept, not just when I'm irritated or irritable or tired and then all of a sudden whammo, bang. But the next time they can do the same thing and it's no problem. If it is disobedience, whether I feel like correcting them or don't feel like correcting them, I am obligated by the Word of God to correct them. And so this idea of training is very, very important. That means from the parent's point of view, a greater amount of thought and purpose behind the correction of the kids. And so God tells us how to properly discipline. And so when we're approaching this topic, especially as we start off, remember you're not just training your kids, you're training yourself to following the Word of God. And so we mentioned and made this comment that your child's disobedience or disrespect and keeping this in mind is really, it's an issue between them and God. You're in, you're in between. You're in the umbrella in between. But you are, you are to be saying, hey kids, 
when you have just disobeyed, when you have disrespected me, when you have argued over when I've said, okay, I want you home by such and such a time, and you've refused to come home and stayed out later, the issue is between you and God, you've sinned. And I need to just help you to understand that. I need to do some correction or some consequence to understand. When the child, as a youngster, little kid, you know, you're trying to train them to be obedient and they aren't going to pick up their toys. There's just no way. They just, you tell them and they just kind of brush you off. This is sin in their heart that you have to deal with. This isn't just, you know, an issue of cleaning the house. This is a sinful rebellion that you have to address. And so you have to understand what you're dealing with. Think the big picture, not the immediate picture. You allowing or excusing or ignoring such reactions by saying, oh, well, they're just out of sorts. It's true, they could be out of sorts. But does that excuse disrespect? No. Does that excuse disobedience? If they're dealing with a child who is having a problem of self-control because they're tired, then parent, it's on you to make sure they get home and get to bed. Okay? But if they're continuing doing this, stop excusing sin. and find, You know what you just trained your kid to, to do? Whenever they feel the conviction of the Spirit, you have trained your kid to find some other excuse that they can throw at God. When they've disobeyed, it needs to be addressed as disobedient. What I'm talking about, and I'll explain, rebellious disobedience. So teach them that it is, it is important that they need to obey you as God's representative and that you need to take care of. And we stopped with this final statement. Actually, you allowing or excusing or ignoring such sin in your child's life is disobedience to God on your part. You're to be training them to be in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And if you're training them to excuse disobedience or disrespect, you are going contrary to the Word of God as a parent. You need to repent of that. And so we want to take another step here. Some form of correction is right to follow. I know the world will, if and this is going on, this is going on YouTube, okay? I know that there's the possibilities of, of, of issues with that. But the Word of God is clear, and I'm not going to back it down from it. Some form of correction is appropriate. Now, where, what type of correction? Well, let's look at it this way. When you are looking at what form of correction, remember God corrects us when we sin. How does God do that? How does God correct us when we disobey Him or disrespect Him? Okay, there's conviction. There's a speaking. There's a verbal reproof. By the, may not be audible, but does the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts? Yes. And if we refuse that? Okay, there could be some form of consequence. And it could lead to some form of chastening. Some form of correction. Does God do this to His children? Absolutely. What verse tells you that? For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Okay? Oh, I had it up there. <laughs> that was really tough for you. Okay. Okay, so we have this idea, and I, and I think this is a classic way of approaching parenting as, as a little kid or when they get older. And even as they get even older, is ask yourself, what does God do? What does God do with me? 
And so we know God does this. He commands parents at times to use some form of, of intensity, some form of even physical correction. Watch all these verses. Foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. By the way, do you know what foolishness is? In this passage, do you, we know what foolishness is. It's a lot of what the world is. Huh. Do you know what fool, the word is right here? Anybody have another word? Okay. It, the, the word literally means to deceive. Kids would never deceive. Right? They would never, you would never say, did you just do that? And you saw them do it and they go, no. Okay. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child because of what? Why is it there? Our sin nature, you got it. But what does God tell you to use? The rod of correction, it will work. Here's another passage talking to parents. He that spares the rod hates his child, but he that loves him chastens him betimes. That's a hard, that's a hard verse, y'all, from taking 1611 English. Let's, let's bring it up to 2023. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly, quickly, early. Here's another passage that God says, do not withhold correction from a child. If you beat him with a rod, boy, that sounds really harsh in our society. But understand in the context, we're talking not brutalizing, as we'll see in a minute. If you discipline him with a rod, he will not die. You shall, he may sound like it. He may, you know, they may you know, give you that impression. He's not going to die. Okay? You'll, but what's going to be more important? You're going to deliver his soul from... How does that happen? You're teaching him that sin has consequences. And you're teaching them in a very simple way. And they're going to realize as time goes by, there's consequences. And there's discipline from God, which could end me up in hell if I'm not careful. Here's God says, chasten your son while there is hope. Do not set your heart on his destruction. We'll come back to that. That's an important passage. The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame. Here's another one to parents. Correct your son and he will give you rest. Yea, he will give you delight to your soul. So you have all these passages in the Old Testament of correcting, correcting, correcting. Then we jump into what we have, oops, excuse me. We jump into the New Testament and God says by illustration, whom I love, I chasten. Furthermore, we had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. He's, he's putting the stamp of approval on this idea of human fathers correcting their children. Shall we not much more be readily in subjection to the Father of the spirits? For they indeed, for a few days, they chastened us as seemed best to them, but he does it even for more of our spiritual profit. But was there profit in our parents' discipline of us? The answer is yes. It helped us to learn right and wrong. And so the idea of disciplining is not something you are doing to your child. It is something that God says you're doing for your child or your grandchild or for those that you're rearing. The idea here from the Word of God is understanding that my child, when he does wrong, it is sin against God. I need to train them that it is wrong, it is dangerous. And as I'm training them, I'm helping them by using some form of correction. It could be physical, it can be verbal, it can be whatever. But as it intensifies, based upon their response, this is biblically correct, not in the world's eyes. But in the Bible concept that we need to understand that God not only commands us as parents to correct our grandparents, but he also says, I'll bless you and them if you do this. Let's go back to the verses we just saw. The rod and, re and rebuke, they give wisdom. Correct your son, he will give you rest, delight to your soul. You shall beat him with the rod, you will deliver his soul from hell. So the principles from the word of God is this isn't just something you do 
just to do it and to fit in. You do it for their benefit, for God's blessing upon your life. Model your discipline after what God deals with you. And so for me, this was just, this was absolutely an, an amazing thought, an overwhelming thought to understand, wait a minute, God isn't fickle when he disciplines. And where I grew up, it was extremely fickle. And understand, I need to put it in context for my own family without, without trying to tear down my parents. My dad worked three jobs to support a family. So when he was home, what was probably his heart's desire? To go to sleep, to get, to get a break. So what did four little kids that were within five years of each other, what did they create? Yeah, they created a non-sleep environment. And so from my dad who was wore out physically and all of a sudden he's trying to rest and we, not me, but the other three older ones, we, all of a sudden, we were raising mayhem. Do you understand how easy it could be that he would react in anger and in tiredness? But was that right? So I grew up with that. That was what I thought was normal. I thought it was normal for parents to correct when they're irritated. I thought it was normal. You only discipline. And you use whatever your hands can get on that quickly. You use it. I thought that was normal. And so coming to the Word of God, it was like, that's not normal. That's not good. And so we need to back up and say, okay, how does God deal with it? What does God's Word say? Do, do the study with me for just a couple minutes here. Okay, look at this verse. What does this verse tell you about correcting children? He that spares his rod hates his son, but he that loves him chastens him betimes. What does it tell you? What's that? You discipline out of love. Okay, excellent. What else? Anything else? What's that? Consistency. Excellent. What else does this passage have? Anything else that teaches you? If you don't do it, you're really not caring. Excellent. What else does it teach you? Okay. That's the idea of, of doing it properly. Excellent. Does it give you any instruction on what to use? Something other than your hand. Okay. God clearly directs us when we discipline, don't use your hand. If you're, if you're using any kind of corporal, not capital, corporal punishment. Why, why does he tell parents not to use their hands? What was that? Okay. Our hands are supposed to be something they don't fear. So you look at this passage and you go, okay, physical correction is appropriate. I look at this and says, it's best to use an inanimate object rather than my hand. The passage says it's to be done by parents. The passage says it's to be done early in the child's life or in the situation. So the passage gives us idea that really some type of physical correction, verbal correction, physical and its levels, it is an act of love, of committed love. But what people do today, I hear this all the time from people that say, well, I love my children too much to correct them. Not according to the Word of God. Okay, not according... I understand I physically don't enjoy correcting the kids. Grandkids especially. 
And I hear this all the time from my kids. You never would have let us do. <laughs> That's true. That's the privilege of a grandparent. Okay. But when people say, I love and it's so hard to do, that's true, it is, to biblically correct a child. It is hard to do them because of the emotion. But we're talking committed love. This is agape love. When you're so committed to their well-being, you correct them early in life, even though you say it is so hard to discipline properly, to discipline a one-year-old. They are so cute. But committed love says, I'm doing this for their benefit. Not my benefit. I'm doing it for their benefit. And so here, jump with me. Foolishness is bound in the heart. That's deceitfulness. But the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. What does it tell you about your kids? They're sinners. I, not my kids, but your kids. Okay? No, no. Seriously, back up. What is God saying about all of our kids? They're all sinners. Children are corrupt like we are. They will not get better left alone. They aren't going to become more selfless and kind if you don't correct the attitude of anger and revenge within the sibling environment. It teaches us that physical correction is part of God's training. That we need to help children understand there's consequences for sin. What's this verse teach you? Chasten your son while there is hope. Do not set your heart in his destruction. What's that? I'm sorry. What do you mean by that? It, it's not going to... Yeah, okay, excellent. Gotcha, Mike. Yeah, you do it when there's still a chance of working with your kids and trying to mold them and model, uh, model for them. What does it mean, don't set your heart in their destruction? Yeah. Yeah, this one is telling you to be very careful. Could you abuse a child? We're big people compared to the little kids. Okay, could you do this in such, like you said, in such anger that all of a sudden you're getting out of control? Some of us know that. Some of us have been there. I'm not going to rehearse the situation again. I've shared it with you before. But I remembered once in my life, once in my life, that it was like, <gasps> I need to walk away. I need to get out of this room because I'm big compared to that kid. And so this passage says, although God approves of chastening, he has limits. That idea of too much can, or too severe is as wrong as it can damage a child. So we look at passages like that and we say, okay, where do we start with this? You have to determine if your child is being childish or being disobedient. Is what they're doing, let's talk about grandkids and kids, can immaturity get a child to do something that they shouldn't be doing? Yeah, yeah. So you have to determine, is this immaturity, the way they're acting, or is this outright rebellion? Is this disobedience to what we've told them? Let me take you to the story that I've shared in the past with this. When I was the youth pastor here at the church, we had a group of teens. They were sixth grade going into seventh grade, and they were almost becoming human at that point. And uh, so they, they loved at this time, this is back in the, in the, um, or, um, the early 80s. So all-star wrestling was a big thing. Not cage boxing, but all-star wrestling. And so these boys, when we would get together at church for Bible study, they insisted on doing all-star wrestling in the church basement where it was carpeted. 
and they would take the chairs and I just broke it over your head. And then, you know, carrying on, like, I'm going to pull your leg off totally. You know, I'll start wrestling. Yay. Is this a Midwestern thing? Okay. Where they had these, these guys and they were just, and so, I mean, I just, I thought this was the most evil thing in the world. These kids are the most unsaved kids possible who have darkened the door of a church, even though they, they were members of the church. Um, so I went, I went off on them on several occasions just about how ungodly it was to carry on like this and how evil it was. And finally it dawned on me, this isn't sinful rebellion. This is just seventh graders. Yay? Okay. What's that? Yeah. Girls can do the same thing. Anyway. So it's just a matter of stopping and saying, wait a minute, is this out of rebellion or is this just plain being kid? And there's a huge difference. I'm going to discipline the kids because they're loud. Are kids loud because they want to be rebellious? No, they're just loud. Maybe, maybe you've, you don't have some of those. My kids, when they would play, they typically, except for one, the, t- the other three, they played loud. They talked loud. I have no idea where they got it other than from my wife. So they, uh, you know, <laughs> she's not here. So she, but you're listening. <laughs> I'm going to be disciplined. Uh, <laughs> so, let me get off this point. Okay, determine if your child is... Yeah. So then you determine which type of discipline is correct. Okay, do I do the reproof that Proverbs talks about, which is verbal? Do I do the chastening, which is physical? So now I have to think this through. Or do I even let a God spank happen? A God spank is just consequences. Like, okay, they, they weren't being care, they were playing, told them not to play ball here, go play in the backyard, but they insisted playing closer to the driveway, and when they did, they put the ball through the window. Okay, so there was a little bit of them not listening, there's a little bit of them, you know, doing something not wise, and so do I do physical discipline or do I just make them help pay for the window? Okay, paying for the window is a God spank. And it, and it works just as well. Chastisement is really the inflicting some type of physical pain. When you read that in the book of Proverbs, there's your differences. Reproof is verbal. The idea of chastisement is physical. And so the physical, when there's rebellion, is, okay, I need to deal with it. The, the chastisement is when they, you know, rebellion, I mean, is when they don't obey. Rebellion is when they say no to you when you tell them to do something. It is their display of anger when they don't get their way. It is the idea that after a while, we had one, one of our kids, after a while, I forgot became the excuse for everything. I forgot, I forgot, I forgot. So after a while, it was like, I need to give you a physical reminder to just help your memory to work. So the, uh, did, did you ever have children that got upset when you corrected them? They, you, know, you did some form of physical correction and they were mad at you. You have not dealt with the problem yet. It's still a problem of lack of respect. That has to be corrected as well. So you figure this out. And you avoid these common mistakes that we list here of non-enforcing, waiting too long in the child's life, not being consistent, because you're tired. 
because it's inconvenient for you to get up and deal with it. Disciplining in anger or harshly, using your hand or an object other than what God says is an inanimate object. Striking in body parts that aren't designed. God has given us an excellent designed uh, place in our body that is really good. And it's padded well enough to do discipline. Waiting too long the counting, the yelling, doing it for the wrong reasons because you make me upset, because you embarrassed me. The idea, some of the mistakes, fearing that the child won't love you if you correct them. That doesn't happen. Allowing the child to display anger, talking too much, disciplining a child to the point that they are irritated but they continue on because the pain didn't really make a change. So you need to do a little bit more. Come on in, kids. Foolish threats. Please stop. Stop telling the kids, if you don't behave, I'm taking you to Pastor Tony's office. The only thing worse than that is when you tell them, I'm going to take them to Pastor Burgraff's office. Okay. That is absolutely foolish. Or I'm going to take you to a policeman. What are you teaching your child by such a threat? The idea of, of uh, resorting to persuasion and, and trying to bribe them. And so th- this whole, there's lots of mistakes. Let, let me conclude with just this idea. Okay. There is within our realm, there are Christians who are advocating no, no physical correction. The reason they're saying, they can come in, in Tony. They're saying that if we do physical correction, it teaches violence. A child left to himself is going to be violent. They need to learn respect of property, respect of other people. That, this, this isn't Bible truth. This is psychology gone awry. There are those who teach that we will only give positive reinforcement, not a negative reinforcement. They go back to the 1950s where they had rats in a maze and they said that when they did the, the positive, the rat worked, learned quicker where the food was. And they based a whole, a whole philosophy on this behavioralism based on those rat studies. What they don't tell you is that when they did those studies, when they combined both positive, a food, and a shock, then the rats did even better yet when it was combined. But they don't talk about that. And again, it goes contrary to the Word of God. There are Christians who are saying this today. They're saying the shepherd theory teaches that shepherds love their lambs and their sheep so much that they would never hurt them physically. Therefore, we should never, as shepherds in our home, hurt the lambs put in our care. And it's called the shepherd theory advocating no physical correction. What's flawed about that? What? Shepherds did do physical effect. They carried a club with them. They would break the leg of the lamb who kept on wandering off and then they would mend them and carry them around the shoulder strap. So it's totally inaccurate. It sounds really sweet, but it's not biblical. And it's historically inaccurate. This is the one that bothers me the most that I want to end up with. God is merciful to me, so I'm going to be merciful to my kids and I'm not going to correct them. God doesn't punish me for every sin that I've committed. I I have to ask you to back up out of your skin and just look at Bible truth for a minute. Does God ever let any sin go? Is there always a consequence for sin? Yes. 
If it isn't coming to us, who did it come to? Jesus Christ. God doesn't overlook any sin. Not one. That's what we're celebrating here. Is the idea that Jesus Christ, he made payment. Now, do I understand how that applies in the realm of parenting? Yes. But don't use it as an excuse. Understand Christ paid for that sin. Your level of correction may vary based upon mercy, but it needs to still be confronted. And we come this evening and we're going to remind ourselves these next few moments. What we do this evening is we gather together and we're going to be pausing now for the next few minutes and we're going to be thinking about what did Christ do for me? Christ, what's the, what's the statement here? What did Christ do for us? Christ died for us. He paid for the sins. So let's do a couple songs and then let's do 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And let's get ourselves focused on what did Christ do?